Welcome to the Blooming League of Original Podcast. G'day and welcome to an extra celebratory edition of Thrush and Treasure, the torture chamber musical comedy podcast that shaved little orphan Annie's curls to make American for the cast of hair. And speaking of American, well, howdy there, I'm Aaron, and I'm joined as usual by the man who rolled Dahl the way from Utah and straight into our hearts, like that piece of gum I swallowed last night, I can still feel it, because he's our very own Willie Wagner, it's Mr. Jay Wonks, how you going, welcome back. Hello, how are you doing, Aaron? Good, thank you, haven't had you on in quite a while. Been a little bit, I've been out here in Utah doing uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and we're, we're out here for 10 more weeks at the Tuacon Amphitheater. Oh wow, right in the middle of the desert. Wouldn't that chocolate melt? Fortunately, uh, pure imagination gets us through quite a bit out here. And actually, it's been very cold and rainy the past week. It's been shocking. We had to sort. We had three rain holes last night for the Saturday night show. Oh, and you've got a flooding system too, so that's perfect. It can fill that up. I have so many questions. We flood the stage for Tarzan at the beginning where there's a shipwreck where Tarzan and his parents come ashore. We flood the whole freaking stage. That's at the beginning. What? We were talking about this recently. That ha- what that what you have to then people have to sweep the mud off the step. What? Okay. Anyways, I have so many questions. Obviously, we have an extra special guest on the show today. So, Mr. J Wags, I've come up with a drag name for you. Ooh, I'm guessing you don't have one already. Uh, I mean, uh, never an official one that yeah. I have performed. <laughs> well, no. And I, I sort of thought, well, obviously it could be Susan or Sue, Sue, Mo, but no. My one is Rose Carla Glasses. Oh, okay. And I also gave my friend Yolanda Nina Pickle. Yolanda Nina Pickle. Ah. Right? And I thought for you... Mary Mia Little. Mary Mia Little. That's great. Okay. Oh, I see what you did there. That's nice. I like that one. <laughs> I'm always a big fan of, I'm a big fan of the Anitas. So it's like, you know, like I need an alibi. <laughs> yes, like that. That's what I was trying to think of a sentence. Uh, right now at the moment, ladies and gentlemen, I am on the red carpet for my very first opening night. Well, actually, I'm supposed to be there right now. I'm all dressed up. So as soon as this finishes, I will be racing off to the Regent Theatre to see Moulin Rouge with past guests Simon Burke as Zidler and Bert Labonte, who has joined the cast, as Toulouse-Lautrec. So they'll be hopefully joining us again in the future. I cannot wait. It's my first opening night. I am so honoured. I'll be rubbing shoulders with all the people who said no to coming on this show. Anyways... <laughs> Guess what? What? Phone rings, door chimes, in comes another iconically legendary pioneering diva bouncing here and there and everywhere, blowing in like an air of fresh breath and serving it up, sugar and spiked, with hardcore glamour, if that's what you're looking for, and a working girl like me is here for it. What? I thought you knew. So if you wanna parentheses feel good tonight, drop a dollar in my titty and call me Mothra as we fly over the monstrous footprint left by this Godzilla stomping before our eyes across New York City and the world who won't just guide you to a great performance. She'll tear the city down boots. No <laughs> oh, wait, hang on, that's not how Godzilla does it. It's <laughs>
You're doing great. I tried. I tried. That's very hard. Because every season is hunty season after this gorgeous gal spilled pasta. Olivia TV, when God friended me, which sent us half crazy, all for the love of Daisy in Deputy, before giving us euphoria with a pose which was full of two words that belong together, glitter and doom. Now rush in and strike a zombie pose stat so you can help us duck walk a huge Aussie g'day with a Shantae you stay, then sprinkle just a schmigadoon upon the bitch who stole Christmas. Oh shit, no, 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 no. I am not calling you a bitch, I promise. To this extra fully sick bitch. Oh, that time I did. <laughs> Who we can CSI NY to Harlem, then onto Fire Island for a bunch of titles left on the tip of my tongue because I sadly can't mention them due to the strike, which I'm finding beep because it's survival of the beepest on the misadventures of beepy and beep. But let's not end on goodbye with one last breath, once call waiting beep beeps on our shady phone kiki. Instead, let's sweep up the crumbs and spill the reality in a moment of weakness with this chosen one who puts the QT in LGBTQT plus brought her warmth and worthy but not too funky gifts such as a theme tune to the queens of new york as well as appeared in i am jazz being bb trixie mattel moving parts translation nubia amplified mtv's decoded the real world pbs's master of drag then she watched what happened live with daddy cohen and judged what happened as the mother of the house of dulcet for call me mother oh wait i did that one so with our finest shirts tucked in and our faces beat to buggery by life we are living to welcome to our torture chamber this truly transcendent talent and trusted trailblazing trans icon who totally tore the top off the taper in 2023's A Transparent Musical, but that trip into televisual theatre came five or so years after this vision of nowness proved that heaven is a place on earth by becoming the first trans performer to originate a role on Broadway when she left us head over heels in love love with the Go-Go's, but my lips ain't sealed as we come back from vacation, mad about this beautiful good girl gone Glamazonian alumni from the RuPaul's School of Drags, where this queen claimed the uncivil war of season nine, but not Black China, with a stunning and hard fought top two finish. So don't stop her now, because it's the little things that make us still love her tomorrow and today, heck, every morning. Also, don't stop me now, as I near the end of this submission. Instead, treat yourself and see all AT with a dash of black pepper as we celebrate our 100th episode with this badass, ambassading, singing, dancing, producing, podcasting, composing, acting, and songwriting mother of wintergreen, because she's the one and only magical queen who will take your breath away and leave it smelling minty fresh. She's Miss Peppermint Gumming Bear. Yay! Welcome to the torture chamber is this actually happening <laughs> in my life oh my say. gosh thank you wow i have to say that's probably aaron uh, that is probably the best most well thought out most considerate and most multi-dimensional intro i've ever received in my life <laughs> So thank you. Thank you very much. I'm <laughs> glad you enjoyed it. I did warn you. I did warn you. It was crazy. It's not crazy. It's great to be here. My favorite parts of this podcast is being able to watch the guest react to the introduction in real time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And let me tell you, Peppermint, <laughs> your expression said it all. It was amazing. Thank you, Jonathan. So I don't say it. I don't say it. I'm literally in my head trying not to stumble on every word. Oh, you didn't see me like I was like... <laughs> No, she was living. Yes, yes, yes. Awesome. It was. I. It was pure joy. And I mean, I was already trying to recover from you working so cleverly everything in when you mentioned Jonathan, like the raw doll. I was like, wait a minute, this is great. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
Wow. Okay. Hi. I've been planning these jokes for a month, Peppermint. They have been it shows. boiling away. I have been sort of writing them down, wrangling it all together. These episodes are not easy to do. They do take time. This time I had a month. So it was a matter of don't overcook it. Just don't overcook it. That's all. <laughs> well, I'm happy to be here with you and happy uh, 100th episode to both of you. Well, thank you. Yes. Happy 100th. Thank you so much. Now, just to clarify, you do still go by Gummy Bear. Yes? No? Oh. I don't. Okay. I I'll... got a divorce. Okay. I'll cut that out. I'll, I'll cut out the Gummy Bear. Oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't okay. matter? Okay. <laughs> no, it's it's okay. Yeah. 90s kids would know there was the Gummy Bears theme at the start of that bouncing here and there and everywhere. Yes. I have performed that song at 54 Below. <laughs> you sang that at 54 Below? Yes, I did. It was a TV theme song that- Oh my goodness. Okay, I'm just, okay, I just want to quickly, last thing on the introduction, I want to throw in a disclaimer there. I'd just like to clarify that I did not just tell the world to put a dollar in my titty. That is a song title. But if that is indeed what tickles your fancy, I would not turn down a dollar anywhere, but I would much prefer a fitty in my titty because capitalism. <laughs> Just wanted to clear that up. Refunds are not available. And I do take PayPal. Anyways. I feel it. <laughs> I've been diving into all your music. So we've got lots of questions about all of that. I can tell. Yes. Everything that was on Spotify for Australia anyway. So, all righty, let's move on with the show. You have been down the picket line for the strike in NYC. And I keep saying Fran Drescher needs to get outside each studio with a megaphone and just go, hey, Mr. Sheffield, <laughs> over and over and over again. And we will get what we want. I mean, honestly, you're not wrong. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And it has this been a bit of a learning curve for you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've actually, I have been in the union for years. This is definitely my first strike in any job. I mean, I've protested before for different things and different movements and things. And, and I've certainly ha um, <laughs> displayed protest behavior on the job <laughs> at different <laughs> stages of my life. But this is my first organized strike uh, with regards to labor union. It feels like a pretty big one. I guess that they don't usually do them. It's not like they do them every other contract or every other year. The last one was, you know, 50, 60 years ago. And it feels like it's a part of a seed change for the entire labor in general in the United States. You know, we've been talking for so long about how companies are making more money and and humans are making less and that the the sort of divide is just getting larger and larger and larger. We've been talking about that for more than 10 years, at least in politics and and everything and so now we're seeing it not that we weren't seeing it play out in real life but now we're seeing how it's motivating people to organize and something like some the equity just organized this year a couple of strip clubs you know mm -hmm. the dancers organized and so like people are just realizing that workers are just making less all across the board and it's getting so it probably it's probably been that way for a long time obviously but like now it's just reaching such a level that it's almost absurd it's beyond absurd when mm -hmm. people can't afford just the basic living what it takes to live and work you can't even afford to live and work if that's the only thing you were dedicating your life to doing you can't even do that and so uh it's been great to see the solidarity it hasn't been great to be on the picket lines i don't love the fact that we're having to picket and strike but it is great to see that solidarity across not only other actors and performers but also writers and people in iatsi and people of different unions all coming together and the directors guild i hope that we can get on with the business and come to an agreement that 
everyone is happy with or at least okay with. But I do see that this, I don't, I don't think that this, I don't think that the world of professional theater is like too far off. Ugh. Well, I agree with pretty much everything you just said, but I think that it's, I don't know how we're going to be able to AI theater in the same way that we would be able to capture an AI, a film and radio performance. So I think on some level, live performance is always going to have that element of, of novelty of being able to share the air with the performer you're with. But I absolutely agree that uh, conditions right now in the arts, especially with the advent of streaming, because we're figuring out right now, like, there is a shitload of money in streaming right now. And there's only so much you can cut away from artist salary and artist benefits before the artist is like, well, why am I working for you when I could literally just be doing what I want for basically the same amount of money, which is very little. Yeah, I made crosswords, crossword puzzles, right, by hand that were this big and bigger. 100% musical theatre crosswords or so theatre in general. Zero fucking cents for five years of work for a magazine. While the owner of it, the editor, the publisher, made a lot of money from it and used every issue to spruik his daughter and her career. Anyway, it's not bitter at all. <laughs> well, I do, I know, like, the whole conversation about AI went from just like a movie uh, sort of theme in my mind, like literally watching that movie AI with Will Smith. Is it? Is that? iRobot. 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 Okay, iRobot. Yeah, the Will Smith one. iRobot. And like thinking like, okay, the machines are probably going to come to life and, and take over one day to like last year when everyone was using that filter, that app that would like give you an avatar that was like, you know, an AI created imagery. And people were saying that the, the artists are losing out. And I wasn't able to see how that was applicable in, in everyday life. And now all of a sudden we're having this conversation in film and television about AI. You know, the fact that they could use AI to replace performers is scary enough. But I do think that like the, the disconnect between, I think theater, just professional theater in general, has to figure out fully where it sits with technology because the rest of the world is going to be on a spaceship and nobody's even going to know what a theater is. You know what I mean? And so professional theater needs to like figure out, you know, what, how it feels about technology and how it will use technology and sit with it in the future, knowing that we're just going to become more and more like mechanical and automated in the, in the future. But I do agree. Yeah. I, I think certainly the novelty and the, the, um, authentic feel of being in a, a live theater and a live performance is is something that people can never we can't replace but the, i think there's a lot of people who don't even know like i know the difference between a cd and an lp and like a vinyl and how live the vinyl feels but people who never heard it just will never know i think <laughs> are you a big vinyl collector i have a bunch of vinyl i can't say i'm a huge vinyl collector because but i of all my favorite i've made it um um a mission to co to purchase all of my favorite like artists and songs and albums on vinyl just so that one day when we all when the the, the forest fire comes it'll just melt up i guess <laughs> So we're already running way over time because we started off late. So I just want to throw it in there that I do love that we have Miss Peppermint on the same episode as Willy Wonka. Can I taste a double act one day in the future? Perhaps you could call it the adventures of Pepper Longstocking and Willy Wagner. <laughs> you have a gift with words, my friend. A gift with words. Thank you so much. Or Pepper Brewster. Because I do love mixed matched Converse shoes, which I'm thinking of wearing these. As in Punky Brewster? Yes, as in Punky mm -hmm. Brewster. Oh my gosh. We are all the same age. 
Well, uh, I think you and I may have uh, graduated high school in the late 90s. Yes. Yes. All right, I think we're in the same frame of that. Yeah. Okay, okay. I'm only a few years behind. I'm not that much younger kids. Anyways, <laughs> I was just wondering uh, what the kind of adjustment you had going from sort of a, a, a touring schedule where you were sort of the headliner moving from uh, venue to venue to going to like an eight show Broadway week where you're doing just like eight shows a week every week in the same spot. Was that an adjustment for you or was like the AMDA muscle memory like this is what I've trained for get out of my way sort of feel like what how was that adjustment? It was definitely an adjustment besides like the change of venue and the change of city. Obviously, those are very different. But for me, I think the biggest sort of difference or the the thing that was like the most palpable is the fact that like in these tours where I was performing in drag I could do anything I wanted if I wanted to change the music if I wanted to change how I performed it what I said like anything what I was wearing like I just had complete freedom to do whatever I wanted and obviously in a play and a theatrical production it's like the same thing so yeah that was the biggest thing that I was like oh my gosh the same costume again mm -hmm. but <laughs> <laughs> You know, otherwise, do we have to stick with the logos tonight or could we maybe throw something else in? Yeah, let's like <laughs> change it up. So I did change. I, I did. I did whatever was in my power. My makeup would like subtly like evolve over time, <laughs> you know, things like that. It got a lot yeah. more like. Whoa! OK, <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, speaking of kicking in a muscle memory kicking in. We'll move on to the middle now. Firstly, what would be in your ultimate rock star rider? Not just what you already put in your dressing room demands. What would, if you could put anything on there? You know, I mean, I'm pretty expressly simple mm -hmm. and vanilla when it comes to a rider. Like, I actually don't like a whole bunch of stuff because I travel very heavy and I bring everything I need for the most part things I can travel with. So if there could be any, 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 anything in the world in there, it would probably be like a lot of like an un, like a, like a shopping spree's amount of candy. Cause I <laughs> love candy. So like, I would love it. Like the, like collector's item candy, like gummy bears and pieces of whatever, like, oversized i couldn't take them with me obviously if i was traveling but i could like take a bite out of them <laughs> you just want to be surrounded surrounded by the sweetness i love candy that's it and then afterwards you feed the poor yeah yeah oh gosh i'm going to hell <laughs> poison it's here here's some sugar <laughs> that's it uh so yeah uh before we really kick into talking about the metal album have you had a lot of experience with metal i know clearly we we both sort of came of age during the grunge revolution and also have you studied any music theory i know you you have a lot of music out there but i was wondering if you had any classical training or uh musical training in that way beyond your obvious amda training you know yeah being a child of the 90s, well, I mean, I was born in the 70s, but being like someone who was like of age in the 90s and like able to like sort of form my own musical tastes and friend circles and things like that. Yeah, I think, I mean, the 90s was very fusion, right? And so I, I know that there's people who like have, especially, I guess when we're, when we're growing up, we listen to the music of our parents until a certain age. But I think in the 90s, music with like MTV and like how popular music videos became and even radio, I think things just started to like mix and mingle in a way that they had and at least that I hadn't seen in my lifetime. And so even, I don't care what kind of music you were into, you couldn't 
avoid hearing like, you know, what they were calling alternative music, like Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and everybody. Like you knew who they were, even if you didn't like that kind of music. But I love all this music. And so, yeah. Um, and I do have some classical music training. I played musical instruments in school because, again, I'm of the age where we had to up to a certain point. But I chose the wrong one. I can't say I chose the wrong one. I chose the right one, but it just didn't use the same staff. So I played the viola, uh, <laughs> which is oh, like alto clef. Yeah, like no <laughs> instruments use this clef. And so like, and I never had even tried to like, I think when we were in grade school, we had to learn the treble clef, like, you know, face scrapes and like all those different things. But like. I never applied it. So like, I'm lost when it comes to reading like sheet music right now um, without having to do with like all this like transposition. And I'm, nobody's got time for that. Tell your music director, I will only read alto clef. I'll only read <laughs> alto clef. I will... <laughs> that should be in your writer. <laughs> that should be in my writer. But yeah, then I had a little bit of classical vocal training when I was at AMDA. Amazing. Just enough to get by. <laughs> yeah. And then, oh, I won't throw it in there. I won't throw shade at um the show that we all love even though some of the music is all very much auto-tune <laughs> i'm talking not no not your music i'm talking oh, about... no no i know i know i'm thinking yeah. about like the i'm no yeah yeah that's well, not wrong I, her... that's not wrong <laughs> no no it's not wrong no it's not wrong i'm thinking i'm like what's it's definitely auto i mean you know mine's auto-tune too yeah look it's <laughs> I'm not some of the music and I think it might be Stockholm syndrome because we hear it all the time in every episode. It's catchy and it's great music. Love it. So I'm not throwing it shade there. I'm just saying to go from the viola to, you know, the world of sort of pop techno on reality TV. I just thought it was quite yeah, the, um, the, the, the computers do it for you. That's it. <laughs> Speaking of AI. Anyways, let's move on before I put my foot in it any further. And this week I was absolutely thrilled when you said yes, well, not just said yes, but you also gave us two choices for the album, which was Pearl Jam's 10, which I saw in a commercial on a video of 90s commercials the other day, which was really, really random. I'm like, that's a sign. We should have picked that one, but no, we shouldn't have. We should have picked this one, Stone Temple Pilots, Purple. So before we get into that discussion... Mr. J-Wags, you didn't know this one, I believe. I only knew the hits. I actually, uh, this was one of those like blank spots because uh, I, I I was into the Nirvana and the Pearl Jam, but Stone Temple Pilots never quite made it into my playlist as much. But I was aware of like the MTV hits that were on the album. Purple, their 1994 release was their second album, uh, still with the original group before they fired the lead singer. Always very awkward fire your lead singer. <laughs> it was fascinating going back into something that was such, it, it's definitely a 90s rock album. You can definitely feel it in the production. You can definitely feel it in the influences. Uh, I could feel the influences of like, every grunge band kind of wanted to be Zeppelin with those sort of like Middle Eastern and jazzy type chords, but also they all kind of wanted to be each other too because I definitely could feel some Pearl Jam and some Nirvana influence in there and some of the other things they were doing. But yeah, going through it, I remembered the hits. I remembered Vaseline. I remembered... Uh, uh, interstate love song and i remembered big empty from the crow soundtrack uh, that was a soundtrack that got a lot of play in my household uh for yes sorry <laughs> it was a great soundtrack it's like the top of my notes the crow with exclamation marks sorry i got so excited in one of my favorite movies 
but I never really, uh, I have never dove into uh, Stone Temple Pilots. So the vibe I was getting was that they seemed very interested in sort of like the riff based rock of the time with sort of whatever was on Scott Weiland's mind at the time. And sometimes like in Big Empty, which I think is still the standout track on the album, because with all that slide guitar into that giant chorus, time will take a home a day's you hit his conscience lady. And we're all like, yeah, we're in behind that. Uh, I think the lyrics there are uh, he rides the line of simplicity and sort of too simple, a little bit too much sometimes, because sometimes the song like the last song on the album, what was it like Kitchenware and Candy Bars? It was like it was just like four sentences repeated the entire song over and over. It's got like who like what am I thinking and what am I wanting and what am I doing and what am I thinking? And it's like and it's just that for so much of it. Like, are, have we passed the point of simplicity into just repetitiveness? So uh, I found the lyrics to be a little bit uneven throughout the whole album. I thought that the instrumental work was generally excellent, especially the guitar work on Lounge Fly. And as I was saying, the more country and bluesy they got to go sort of against the grain of grunge at the time I thought was more interesting. Mm -hmm. I am remembering that Scott Weiland is a very specific vocalist uh, and we should not expect him to be what he was not as a vocalist. Uh, he's not going to give you a lot of vibrato. He's not going to give you runs. But what he is, is he's going to give his lyrics with utter simplicity and sincerity, which is its sort of own beauty in it. The first, I, I counted one, two, three, four, five, six, the seven. The first seven songs on the album were within like five beats per minute on the click track of each other. So they were all sort of the exact same mid four tempo and we didn't get to uh, i don't think we got any new time signatures until like the very last number where they did it in eight but it was like a three plus three plus two which was interesting the the general feel of the album i got was like we're going to get to this verse and then we're going to get to this loud big chorus a lot like the pearl jams and the nirvanas and live they were really good at the soft verse loud chorus thing but they really managed to, to grab something really cool with this i just wish there was a little bit more lyrical depth to some of the songs because a surprising number of of the songs are just like one verse repeated four times and like with a slightly growing groove over it and at his best i think he's a very fascinating lyricist and at his worst i think it's just sort of like this fits the tune none of the lyrics detract from the songs because sometimes like yeah this is what this song feels like and that's cool but when he hits those moments of oh i'm learning something new about the stone temple pilots and what scott's trying to get me to feel through these lyrics i just think sometimes pop writers and rock writers don't always have the infrastructure to push themselves lyrically or, or the incentive to push themselves lyrically uh, as other songwriters might. But in general, I'd say this is a great album uh, of their stuff. Uh, um, I would listen to it again, especially the hits, because those are deep inside my mind. Uh, but yeah, uh, out of five stars, I'd give it a three and a half. Awesome. Just want to throw it in there that you say he's not going to give you the runs. Well, I mean, depends what you mean. Uh, on the cover is a chillin, a Chinese a chimera or type of uh, myth mythological beast with a child riding it. And on the back of it, I believe it says 12 gracious melodies, but no track listing, which I thought was kind of funny. Uh, anyways, there's a hidden song after track 11. So there's there an is. extra hit song, which is very funny, but like a minute too long. We're like, we get it. It's it's the joke song at the end of the album. We, yeah. we, we don't need it to be four minutes you'd hear the the hidden track peppermint you chose this so yeah could you please tell our listeners why you chose this or what experiences you had had with the stone temple pilots yeah well you know it was a toss-up for me and my sort of relationship to just like you mentioned jonathan my relationship to stone temple pilots but then also like this style of music was through the mtv um hits of it all 
And I did collect this album on vinyl. Mm. Although I think it's at my mom's house and I can't, I don't know where it is now. She might have thrown it away. Uh, it's purple vinyl. <laughs> Just, of course. And yeah, I think this was, this is when, I guess all of these grunge bands and like alternative rock music bands of the 90s, or a lot of them, had like a moment where they were like the garage band version of themselves and then the MTV like shiny version of themselves that was, yeah. it still was like trying to be all angsty and have all this stuff to it. But it was like very, very produced as opposed to what it had been like their first album core. It's just, there's a huge difference in, the, I think, in the band and their presentation and their kind of in their style. And I think it's just really, really, really apparent. I think that this album is slightly overproduced, just like the whole package of it. But I still love it. I think it's like, this was like the sweet spot of like the balance of like being produced and being like a product and also having whatever the essence is that drew people to them in the first place. I do think Scott Weiland is a huge part of the draw to anything Stone Temple Pilots because of the way his voice, looking at it through the lens now, maybe the luster is not so much there, but like in zooming myself back to the mid and early 90s, like hearing male rock vocalists, uh, he sang with a lot, a lot more soul and sort of emotion than a lot of other, I mean, a lot of these guys in this like alternative rock world, like I guess as opposed to like heavy metal and like, you know, like, I don't know, Danzig, like where it's like screaming and screaming. They sang with like a certain amount of emotion that was like vulnerable, more vulnerable, considered more vulnerable, at least by me. Beaten by life. Yeah. And it's like 80s metal with all the high guys singing. These guys were like Scott Weiland and Eddie Vedder, like, and the guy from the Crash Test Cummies. They were like, yeah, they were singing guttural and chest voice. Yeah. Exactly. And so that, I think that was really attractive to a lot of people. And the unplugged performance, I think, is what draws people into Scott Weiland and into Stone Temple Pilots. One where he's in the chair. Oh, yeah, because he can't. Yeah, when he's in the rocking like chair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, that was why Stone Temple Pilots, why Purple for me. Uh, and yeah, that's, um, and where I was in that moment in time, like I was very much coming off of, you know, my musical tastes were so varied and eclectic in the early and mid nineties. Like mm -hmm. I was very much into all these bands, Stone Temple Pilots, uh, you know, Pearl Jam, Nirvana, you know, Soundgarden, all these bands. And then I was also like really oddly into like, classical music but like very much about mozart like yeah i was like <laughs> give it to me so i had all of these cds and tapes of like concertos and just all the different things from from mozart and i was really heavily into janet jackson and you know like r&b like tony braxton it was just like all this music was like really really re lived heavily in my mind and so rotating between all these different artists was like really really normal for me but i had a friend who was like I think he thought he was the crow. He's my best friend. He's still one of my best <laughs> friends today. <laughs> His name's Tim. Oh, Go-to Halloween costume for so many boys. In the yeah, like crow, very much. And I was like, not really my thing, but like I felt, of course I was emotionally connected to it because of Brandon Lee's death. And I hate the movie, The Crow, I'm sorry to say, <gasps> but- 
Oh. oh, the the quote that turned me, I felt like it was so long. And the quote that turned me off was, I like the pretty lights. Like, I was like, this, there's a, the woman who's his like girlfriend, the, the bad guy's girlfriend. I was like, what is up with this girl? <laughs> I think Bei Ling played the part, I believe. Funnily enough. Oh, before we get off of uh, the metal discussion, I just, one more question I wanted to ask. Uh, going through the album, uh, and the lyrics. Uh, I was noticing that more so than the other rock of the time, STP is talking about what gender roles are in relationships. And I was wondering if that had anything to do with your selection on this, because in Loungefly, there's the repeated uh, words of, she said she'd be my woman, she said she'd be my man, but then at the end of the album, it comes back with army ants repeating the phrase, it's like, a woman ain't a man. So it feels like, uh, I don't know, it w uh, I, I don't hear those lyrics often in other rock, but I heard it twice on one album. I wondered if that had any effect on your choice. No, it didn't. It's not certainly why, it's not why I would have chosen it's not my favorite song. No, so no, it didn't. Again, through the lens of today, those lyrics sit very differently with me for obvious reasons. But then also through beaming myself back to like my whatever teenage self listening to the album then, I think it was par for the course. I mean, you're right. Like this is, there's something very specific about that. But with the whole like, um, the vibe that was being served up to us as teenagers th back then, the threesome, like all these movies and films and that were like really bi adjacent if they weren't bisexual <laughs> um it, it just felt like i think it blended in to in my mind you know like as i think about it now it probably blended in more with everything else that like it was like in fashion to be not that it's not now but it seemed like you know being bisexual was just like definitely something that was more talked about then and and it was like in a lot of movies and a lot and a lot of music, yeah. you know, I think a lot of movies that had the music that that these artists were playing on their soundtracks, you know, like Reality Bites and you know all these different and singles. Uh, I've lost my singles, pen. of course. I've just yes. in my head, I've written a, a really awesome pun for the uh, coming back from the breaks. I need to. Add. Anyways, it looks like it's wheels up on the Stone Temple Pilots, so we're going to fly to an ad break before we fade to lavender. Hey there! It's time to get Popped on Culture, the official Puzzle Hub pop quiz podcast. And welcome to game number five. I'm your new host, Matt Young, and for today's special theme, we're going to test your knowledge on musical groups, including bands, boy bands, girl groups, and vocal ensembles. Play against your friends, or the clock, and see how you go. Alright, let's get into it, shall we? Next up, we've got our pop quiz. 10 trivia questions based on today's theme, and maybe a few bonus points if you're lucky. You'll have five seconds to guess the answer. So, ready for question number one? Zach, Taylor, and Isaac are members of which group? Hanson. Of course, they're famous for Mbop. Crash test dummies were formed in which country? Canada, or as I like to say, Canadia. Third question. Finish this album title. Never mind the bollocks. Here's the... The answer is Sex Pistols. The album is the 2020 debut album by which K-pop group? Blackpink. 
Jada Pickett-Smith performs lead vocals for which metal band? Wicked Wisdom. Said and Done was the 1995 debut album by which boy band? Boyzone. Seventh question. According to Wikipedia, the Beatles were the last band to top the U.S. Billboard end-of-year album charts. In which year did they achieve this? 2001. Which three opera singers made up the operatic supergroup The Three Tenors? One point for each correct answer. It was Placido Domingo, Jose Carreras, and Luciano Pavarotti. Are you ready for this one? Mesopotamia, Funplex, and Rock Lobster are hits by which band? The B-52s. And finally, in which year did ABBA form? That's right, the year I was born, 1972. And time's up. How did you go on that round? And how'd you go overall? Add up your scores and let us know on Twitter. And be sure to check out our other shows on the Fluke Network, especially Thrash and Treasure, where you'll hear incredible interviews with genuine icons of stage and screen. So until the next game, I've been Matt, you've been Popped on Culture, and I shall see you next time. See ya! And we're back with Thrush and Treasure. I'm Aaron. That's Mr. J-Wags. Oh. And we've had 99 flavors. And now Peppermint is one because we're joined by the iconic Miss Peppermint for our 100th episode. I am so truly honored. You are multi-skilled, multi-talented. You are all over the world, everywhere doing everything. You are the trans ambassador for the ACLU, American Civil Liberties Union. So you are devoting your time, your energies to helping the world. Do you ever find time to sleep no no i didn't think so i did not think so she gets her energy from the sun like a plant exactly open the window i don't see the sun so i don't know where i get my energy from too much coffee that's where I get it from all. Uh, okay, now before we move on to the musical, being our 100th episode, I did want to make it just that wee bit tiny bit more special than what it already is. So we actually have our first ever video question from a random listener. This coming in from Melbourne, Victoria. Hi, Peppermint. I'm Jane Badler. <gasps> and I just want to say how inspirational you are to so many of us for all of the incredible things that you've done. Uh, being one of the first trans on Broadway, your stellar career in stage and film, your activism. Um, I'm just totally inspired by you. And I wanted to say hello, send you love, give you kisses. And I wanted to ask you a question. Do you think that there's alien life out there or amongst us? And before I end, I have a little message to you. I'm here for love. I'm here for love. I'm here for love. Ah!
Oh my God. I feel like this is your life. Surprise. Wow. That's wonderful. I was like, what could this video question be? And I'm I'm speechless. I love Jane so much. We uh, have a friend in common, actually, but we haven't seen each other in years and years and years and years and years and years. Uh, it's been 10, 20 years, 30, I don't know how many years it was. But I love her so much. And I'm just so like, I can't believe it. Anyway, let me answer the question. Yes, I do think that there is could be alien life out there. I certainly do. I, I don't necessarily have any proof. It's people have been talking about it a lot lately, the past couple months, talking about UFOs and, and sightings and things like that. And it feels kind of like ill-timed, you know, the whole decision to have this conversation now versus, you know, I mean, I guess there's never a bad time to talk about a UFO, but it does feel like a little bit of a diversion of attention and resources in the States when it comes to like Senate hearings and stuff that they're having. <laughs> But I can think of many other things that they should be talking about. But yes, I do think that there's a few problems here on Earth. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I missed the start of that. Jonathan. Oh, uh, uh, you were saying that you do believe aliens exist in some way, but we should probably yeah. focus on other things. Yeah, <laughs> if that is I a correct do. summary of your statement. Yeah, <laughs> you, for some reason you, your your sound is going a bit funny. I don't know why. I just mine or peppermints. Yours. Okay. Yours, Jonathan. Yeah. All right. But... Do it need to be hotter or softer? Maybe a bit softer. Just... All right. Let me turn. I, I don't know if it's someone's fading you out. Oh, luckily you're wearing pants. Goodness gracious me! Should warn us before moving yes. your camera down. <laughs> My sound interface is behind the computer, so to adjust it, I need to tilt. Okay. Oh, we, we, luckily, we cleared that <laughs> up there. I, we'll move on. Going the candy for no reason. No, you dropped out completely there. Dropped out. Is this easier? Better? Yeah. We're there? Yeah. All right. We'll go full radio on this. All we'll right. go full radio, yes. Now, Jane has been on the show before in the past, and her and I actually have a friend in common as well. I did the same thing with her, had her on my show, and then he popped into the room. Now we've just paid it forward with you on my 100th episode. I cannot believe I just got to do that. I am so thrilled. So I'm glad it worked. I'm glad you liked it. I'm, I, I've loved it. I mean, I'm, yeah, wow, this is like very special. <laughs> yeah, well, Ken didn't know. I didn't say anything. I did tell him we'd had Jane on the show, but I didn't say what I was cooking up. We're going to move on now. Something, a, a deeper question, something that sort of interests me in terms of being a, a gay man and, and an artist. Do promise listeners I approach this with all sensitivity as a member of the 2S LGBTQAI plus community myself, because I know that every artist is different. So I want to give you this voice to cement how you want interviewers, the press, fans, MTC to approach this moving forth. For you personally, do you prefer to be known as a quote-unquote trans artist or as an artist who just happens to be trans, to paraphrase Oscar Wilde? How's that for you? I prefer, uh, I mean, of course, it's all contextual, right? It's a distinction, you know, and it's not one that I'm, it's certainly not one that I'm ashamed of. I'm very proud of my trans identity. But I think conversationally, if someone's like, what's your job? Or like, what do you do? Like, I'd like to be known as an artist. And then my trans identity is a part of that and certainly informs that. If it were in a situation where it's appropriate to talk about someone's accolades or certain distinctions and things that they've done, obviously I'm very happy to have, you know, my trans identity 
mentioned in that way. You know, we've been talking about over the past few years, sort of, uh, you know, conversations about diversity. And and so it's appropriate in those in that context. But if somebody look at that person over there, that's that's a trans artist. I, I don't think I would appreciate that as much. But uh, yeah, I do think I, I certainly wouldn't want to erase my trans identity from any conversation. So however we're going to do it, as, as long as it's included, I'm happy with it. But artists first and then trans second. Yeah. It's, I, I feel that same way about being a gay man. And it sort of, it feels to me like if I don't put, say gay author put the gay before that that i there's going to be a big portion of our community that's not going to hear my voice or or not going to want to hear my voice do you know what i mean because they only want to support queer artists i completely understand that but my art isn't necessarily like mine's all fantasy stuff it's all like action and horror and stuff like that it's not about my life as interesting and fun or whatever as my life has been that's not what my art is about so I do separate my art from the person so that's why I was I was interested in in, you know if it was a a Jewish person as well because there's a lot there in terms of comedians will often do you know the whole Jewish comedian thing and that's sort of their their shtick really again I'm trying to be really really sensitive about this question no i appreciate it and i think you have a point if the if the person if the artist or creator who whatever if their content and what people will encounter is primarily in that realm like if if it's a jewish actor or comedian and most of their work or the stuff that they write is is related to being jewish and telling that story instead of experiences and it probably makes sense to have it there if that's how they want to be categorized and the same thing And I think that's one of the things that we're trying to break free from is like we were fighting to play parts that were trans roles, like characters a few years ago, like they weren't even hiring trans people to play the a transgender character. Yeah. And so like being a trans actor meant being able to play the transgender woman in a thing. Now I think we're to the point, hopefully, or if, if we're not, then hopefully soon, where we'll be able to play roles regardless of how the character identifies. Obviously, it's important to be able to bring authenticity to the role, and that's a whole nother conversation. But I think that it's possible to have characters in TV shows and film who they don't mention the person's identity, gender identity, one way or the other. Yep. And a, certainly a trans person could play that role. Yep. Awesome. Well, now we're all introspective. <laughs> it's time for a musical about birthdays for our 100th. We're going to celebrate. And despite Spencer's warnings, I chose sometimes beloved classic company because it's about a birthday party. So I'm going to jump into my review. If I can find it quickly. When I first decided to do company, it was only with vague knowledge of what it's about, and I just wanted something to fit the theme. As I said, Spencer tried to warn me that it's about isolation. I scoffed and hit play on this beloved show, first with the 2018 London Revival cast, which admittedly I found myself swaying with restlessness at the amount of ballads. So being confused, I put on the 2011 New York Symphony version featuring Pat's boy Craig alongside Neil Patrick Harris with a very young Ariana DeBose as a smiling ensemble member, plus a painfully stellar cast topped by Patti Lapone again as Joanne. And here I understood the appeal, for actors at least. A lot of book scenes for them to play up whilst Bobby walks around like a modern day Pippin, trying to find his place in the world. Because through these many beloved married characters delivering a slew of Sondheim standards like Side by Side, Another Hundred People, and The Ladies Who Lunch, apparently 
Oh, but I need to burp so badly. I'm so sorry because I've been drinking Coke and coffee and I can feel it in my chest. And I'm do it, do it. I'm trying, like, trying to get it up. But that's why I keep tapping my chest and I can feel it there. I'm so sorry. I'm gonna have to put that at the end as an Easter egg so the audience will hear that that just happened. Uh, anyways, <clears throat> I can't do it. Anyways, as Bobby wanders around like a lost puppy before sleeping around and making everyone crazy, no doubt with an STD. But I digress. And what is an existential crisis anyways? How would we even know it's an existential crisis? How does that belong in this story of literally every guy I know who can't commit, leaving me 38, I'm married and not even sure I'm worthy of loving? Because where do I... Oh, I get it now. I <laughs> am Bobby. You are Bobby. We are all Bobbies in this world. Three stars. Spencer was right. If I wanted to see myself, I'd look in a mirror. Whilst the songs are clearly top of his game Sondheim, the story itself would be more compelling to me if Bobby's friends were all cannibals. Bobby, come on over, be dinner. We'll be so glad to eat you. <laughs> Bobby, come on over, be dinner. You'll be cuisine to us. Thank you for feeding us. We love stew. And then it ends on eaten alive. I'm in five stars to those ladies who lunch. And I know I'm going to hell. I know I am going to hell. This is my life, really. And so I was depressed the whole time, every time listening to this. I'm sorry, kids. Look, the music's great. The story hits a little bit too close to home. You know, talking about art that's not about me. This is why. This is why I don't need to look in a mirror and see how shitty my life is. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Three stars. To Put me in an existential crisis. Three stars. <laughs> From Thrasher. I'm so sorry I picked this album. I well wish done. there was something more celebratory. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of Sondheims that are like, yeah, happy ending. Like Sondheim is not. It's true. Bad. I know. It's true. I know, I know, I know, but still. I don't know, Gypsy, she becomes a stripper at the end. That's pretty happy. <laughs> like, that's in, like, the biggest she famous. she unionized. That's it, like, not just a stripper. She became the world's most famous, most expensive stripper. Like, that's a happy ending, if you ask me. Maybe not for Mama Rose. Anyways, <laughs> Peppermint, were you familiar with Company before now? I'm just putting my foot in it. Yes and no. I had to review, not review, but d do, I guess, review. Uh, company I was in school uh, we were forced f f what felt like at gunpoint to uh, endure and listen to and learn about um, a bunch of musicals like like the entire alphabet of musicals and so company was one of them for me and I really do love honestly like I do love anything that's about like I had a fantasy all my whole life about like 30 somethings young adults like people who are in like New York City like I'm you know fascinated with like the New York City life of a person who's like working and doing their thing and seeing how people like sort of relate but you know if I had to choose like company or like boys in the band you know like I would obviously go and that's also quite depressing yeah, company's not my first choice, but I can appreciate, yes, we all are a Robert in a way, shape, or form, I guess. I don't feel like it's about a birthday. I mean, I know this is a, like, surprise party, but, like, all the other aspects of the show really, you know, like, overshadow the whole mm -hmm. birthday thing. I had no idea. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> 
It doesn't feel like it's much about a birthday. But yeah, yeah, I don't have a whole lot to say about Company. I didn't get a chance to see it when it was last on Broadway with Patty. Of course, we all saw that viral clip of Patty tearing somebody new asshole who was in the audience. So that was entertaining. Uh, and I do have a friend who was in in it this time around, Itai. You know, that's my whole connection to Company. And I'm still single as well. Yeah, <laughs> I, you know exactly how I feel. So all my friends have been having children since we were 15, 16, and then Jeez. getting married to the dads that were well, one of the dads of one of the children, basically. So, like, I became Bobby literally at 17, 18 years old when everyone's, like, got a family. And now I raise my sister's child. Have you ever had a surprise party? No, but I love to pull surprises on my guests. That counts, I guess. Okay, see, uh, I do happen to love uh, company in a very specific way. It's uh, it's in the way that um, every musical that takes place sort of in the here and now always sounds dated within five years. Yeah, like Chorus Lines sounds very dated. Uh, like Rent now feels very, very dated. Uh, and I think this is sort of one of those things like, yeah, it's hip, it's now, but now it definitely feels very... 70s in in its whole thing uh but yeah i've seen the show a lot i i think it's like in terms of relationship honesty i think sondheim really nails it with some of these songs especially songs like sorry grateful like i don't know of any better ways to explain a relationship and i have also noticed that on broadway like every generation or so a composer's like hey me and my friends would be a pretty great musical so it ends up like company or falsettos or end up like avenue q to some extent uh this really felt like this was sort of sondheim's like hey me and my friends would make a great musical uh and i think the reason it succeeds is because like you were mentioning it, it it's it is so universal we've all gone through that moment of like oh there is something bigger in myself uh i'm ready like I, being alive is the reason to do it somebody somebody love me too much somebody teach me to care that sort of thing. I think that's something very, very universal we could all talk to. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've seen the show four or five times and my, my favorite production of it is the, I think it's the 2006 Raul Esparza version. It's it's great. It's self-accompanied. And I'm, I'm always a sucker for that. So that's great. Throw it in a couple of notes in there. Uh, Craig Bioko played Peter in the 2011 New York Symphony version where Neil Patrick Harris. Okay, this is hilarious because... Craig Bioko is a friend of our show, right? He's been on twice. Okay. There's a scene in that where Craig hits on Neil and Neil turns him down because there's a whole like, oh, have you ever tried being with a man? That whole ah, thing. And okay. it's like, if you ever want to be with someone. <laughs> and I was watching it, cacking myself laughing. I'm like, what are you doing, Neil Patrick Harris? That's Craig Bioko. He'll make you laugh at least. Anyway, I just thought that was pretty funny because I, I knew that you were coming up on the show and I sort of figured you, you probably know Neil. I know Craig. Hey, we could have introduced them. Cher Horowitz. <laughs> Sorry, Craig. Happy birthday. Bye. Happy birthday, Craig. Neil's a dear. Neil is a sweetheart. As a performer, Peppermint, um, as we were talking about Sondheim and things, what are things you look at as a performer? What do you look for in a song either to sing or or to uh, do a routine with? Like, what, what are you looking for in the song? Well, if I'm going to just sing it, certainly the key is the first thing I look at. <laughs> Making sure that it's in the, the key and it has like the right sort of tessitura for me. Um, we'll get that in alto clef for you. We said that already. Got to get that in alto clef. <laughs> exactly. But aside from that, like I don't usually perform a lot of musical theater stuff these days 
even the stuff when I'm like, if I'm auditioning for a show, I'll usually try to bring something poppy in because, you know, it's frankly usually easier. <laughs> and they're all fucking jukebox musicals anyway. So what does it matter now? These days anyway, you're probably, I mean, honestly, the last <laughs> 10 or 15 things I auditioned for were like either jukebox or like pop, like heavily pop. And so that's that. Uh, but in general, th this that's the strange thing. On the, like, you know, reverse of that, if I'm doing a drag number where I'm lip syncing, when I, a lot of times I sing live in drag anyway, but if I'm doing a drag performance where I'm lip syncing, I, I really love to do a musical theater song, which is so, like, backwards. Mm -hmm. Because <laughs> musical theater cast recordings, if I'm lip syncing, Musical theater cast recordings are generally record, unlike pop music, recorded in a way that the voice sits more forward and you can really hear everything that the person's yeah. saying as opposed to 90s grunge music where like everyone's just like buried into the thing. <laughs> yeah. And so, or even like, you know, Britney Spears, like, you know, you can't, maybe that wasn't the best example. You, so you sometimes can't, <laughs> literally can't tell the difference between like their voice and like another synthesized thing on the on the song yeah um and so you know cast recordings oftentimes are like you know either more minimal or at least recorded in a way that the voice sits forward and then that really pops in a bar or club setting yeah awesome all right looks like aaron should have listened to spencer all right we will be back after this as aaron cries in the feeder position <laughs> G'day listeners, Aaron here. While you're topping up your coffees, did you know that you can support our show and go on a fantastically scary adventure at the same time? Go to www.thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore to grab your copy of The Toniston Tales, a darkly funny Aussie trilogy about a young boy who rescues injured animals in his spare time and the roller coaster ride he's taken on by a literal fish out of water. Written by me, the village idiot of Thrash and Treasure, you'll come to love Toniston Turnbull and the dozens of wacky characters that he meets along the way. And here is a sneak peek. Landing with a thud that echoes throughout the whole cottage, Toniston instantly rips off the manky shoes gifted to him by Milford and tosses them into the corner behind a blue barrel. Without a second thought, the bully races down the hallway to the backmost room of the house and leaps behind his uncomfortable makeshift hay bed, then waits, and waits, and then waits some more, until finally, what seems like an eternity later, muffled growls start vibrating through the thin walls of Cubpaw's cottage. He tries to control his breathing, but his heart is racing way too fast. Toniston ducks down further. Nothing should be able to see him, but he can't be sure they won't smell him. The gruff growling grows louder. Toniston presses his ear against the cold, chipped, chalky wall. He thinks he can make out phrases like, Where is it? And, Give us the merge, though not much else. It's all too mumbled, and he's shaking too much. But it doesn't matter anymore. The front door of the cottage slams open with a harder, louder, cracking thud than it ever had before. A dozen or so stomping footsteps enter. The cottage shakes uncontrollably as if it is as terrified as our friend the bully is. 
Toniston panics. He's trapped in a corner with a slew of sharks on his trail. He makes a sudden rash decision, ripping aside the thick animal hide curtain. Toniston leaps through the small oval-shaped window headfirst, landing on a crate filled with hay sitting outside it. Mustering every ounce of manliness, he has not to react verbally as he lands with a crunch on the sharp, pin-like hay. It pierces his skin in several places, but thankfully, in his panicked state, the bully becomes numb to the pain. Counting his blessings, but not his chickens, Toniston struggles out of the crate by throwing his legs over and levering himself up, causing the coral underneath his feet to snap. He loses balance and tumbles. To describe the pain of tumbling face first down a steep hill of hard, sharp, deadly shaped coral would require far too many swear words than this author would be allowed to publish. So let's just say it hurt a lot. With one last somersault, Toniston's legs fly first over the cliff's edge. Crunch. His left hand grabs hold of the outmost jagged knob of coral. The stocky body of the 10-year-old child sways rapidly back and forth like some sort of death-defying pendulum. He gasps for air, or from shock, not even Toniston can tell. All he knows is above him, a deadly coral cliff and deadlier sharks. Below him, larger, sharper coral under a sea of giant, sharp spikes of natural metal. His head throbbing and vision too blurred with bright red splotches to be able to see clearly for too long. His face is dripping with blood. It runs down his shirt front, tickling him in the process. But all he can do is swing there. It's moments like these that a boy really needs his mum. Unfortunately, while Toniston's life hangs in the balance, on earth his life was dishonestly being celebrated by all at Gumbaya Primary School after news of the bully's disappearance had spread like wildfire through the tiny town, then onto the music industry before eventually reaching the wider world. Rock music fans, specifically those of Muzzletop, had flocked to the outskirts of Melbourne, leaving wreaths, band posters, and hand-drawn tributes to honour the missing son of their favourite singer. Although none of them knew the boy, many had seen him standing on the side of the stage of the band's concerts alongside Tina. Also, at the time of his disappearance, hundreds of the world's entertainment media lined the streets outside the school and sadly, outside Tina's house. Wanting any word they could get their greasy hands on, the gossip came in thick and fast as snide, bored neighbours took it upon themselves to speculate and make up stories for their five minutes of fame. Inside the house, the phone ringing 10, 15 times a day from nosy TV stations, hounding the poor, terrified mother, there was no escape. And whilst Tina was never polite in her declination, still they persisted. Call me again and I'll punch you in the nose, she promised. The school's principal, Mr. Patterson, had himself realised how cold and nasty it would look if Toniston Turnbull's former victims didn't at least pretend to mourn his disappearance. And thus, with an added paranoia of becoming a suspect, Mr. Patterson set out to overcompensate with memorials and dedications to the boy who touched all our lives with his love of animals. Mr. Patterson felt satisfied his school's image was intact. The largest memorial from the school came in the form of a service in the gymnasium. With every student, teacher, news reporter, and local police in attendance, Mr. Patterson sought to show the world just how much Toniston had meant to the school. The service would have made the bully puke. 
from the awful school choir butchering his least favourite songs, to the obnoxious releasing of the White Doves, Mr. Patterson may have been satisfied his memorial service paid tribute, but Toniston is far too cynical for that. And yet, whilst hundreds of people sat on the cold plastic seats in the Gumbaya Primary School Auditorium, not one person in attendance truly knew Toniston when he was around. But all alone, in her large house, the animals all shunned outside, Tina Turnbull sits with her umpteenth glass of wine, ignoring the umpteenth phone call from friends, fans and family, but most sad of all, wondering, for the umpteenth time, what she could have said to her only child to have brought the two of them closer together. A now broken photo of Trent Turnbull and an infant Toniston, only hours after his birth, sits at her feet under the table. Tina simply doesn't care about the million tiny shards of glass cutting up her feet. She just wants her son back. And as if joined at the soul, while dangling from the lavender-coloured dead coral cliff face, somewhere in his head voice, Tina's cries are heard by the boy. His face scrunches up, but then it relaxes. I can do this. Grab your copy of The Toniston Tales from thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore today. Hooroo! And we're back with Thrush and Treasure. I'm Aaron. That's Mr. J Wags, currently playing Willy Wonka at the Tuakan Amphitheatre until October. Plug. And we're joined by the deliciously talented Miss Peppermint. Okay, okay, okay. I know the RuPaul School for Drags fans will come after me if I don't ask at least one question about the show. So to appease the children, you are the mother of Wintergreen and you're also American. So to be traditional, may I have your daughter's hand in marriage? Because Sarge is the trade of all seasons. <laughs> yes, you may. Yes. Awesome. Thank <laughs> you very much. Sorry, Sarge. <laughs> I'm kidding. Half kidding. Yeah, Sarge is is married, but I don't know that Wintergreen is. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Now, well, look, if, if Sarge is underneath all that makeup, that's fine by me. Anyways, <laughs> in all seriousness, this is a... Generally, I racked my brain for a month. You've been asked a million things. I could talk about the show for 90 minutes, but we have 99 other episodes where I mention it. So people go listen to those episodes. All 99 of them. That's <laughs> it. So it's generally been a struggle to think of the one question I wanted to ask about this show, because I'm guessing you're frustrated getting asked constantly about All Stars. I feel like you've answered that 20,000 times. So we're not asking about that. But there is the versus the world and global all-stars and apparently three series of filming in the one studio in Colombia at the Paramount Studios there. Do you think that is it about time that World of Wonder just bought a property outside of LA, build accommodation offices and some warehouses and just film all your series is there and then that way everyone from around the world just film in that one spot you can do all your global all-stars and you can have camp drag perhaps yeah that's i mean first of all i love that idea yeah i i don't know what uh, that's some tea that i've not heard what more do you know about what they're filming you mean in the country of colombia they're filming something i believe look it's reddit it's rare, and I don't Bad. occupy Reddit, so I don't. I'm not in okay. with the whole rumors and stuff like that. But I was okay. actually interested in because I saw the the snippet for the Germany judges, and I realized, oh, it's the same set as Mexico and Brazil. So I thought, did they just build the same set, or 
did they just film in the same studio? I did a little bit of digging. Apparently, three of them were filmed in the same studios. But just do that, kids. Just build your own. Get a farm. Buy a farm. Well, they, I mean, they probably have enough. There's probably generated enough money in terms of the franchise at this point. But one of the things that they do have, at least for the versions they film in America, it's the same set, but it does move. It's not always the same studio. It just moves. It's like literally the workroom is like, backdrops so, so it all folds up into a few suitcases what they're not real bricks no they're not real bricks <gasps> no and, and <laughs> i mean those pink neon bricks and that's the same way with all of the shows i guess they're the sets are so portable and so you know i guess it's in their best interest it's probably cheaper to do it that way than to have mm. to build and maintain some sort of studio because they go probably wherever it's like probably most economically viable mm-hmm <laughs> It would make more sense. They're doing this global, apparently. Rumors are there's a global All-Stars. What I would really Mm. love to see is Down Under versus Up Over. Over easy. Goodness gracious (laughs) me. I don't know why we have not done that. Uh, We're in our third season of Australia, but speaking of that set, Mm -hmm. cardboard, come on. I I think they're bringing American cameras Down Under, so it's NTSC cameras working in a PAL environment. And so there's something going on with the image. What makes you say that? The image and sound just doesn't quite sound like every other season around the world. That's true. It's been like that since the first season of Australia. Mm -hmm. It actually is noticeable and makes it a little difficult to watch, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. The Australian set is obviously a different set, and it's it's a different part of the franchise, right? And so, but I don't think that they're traveling with with equipment. I think that they generally hire. I mean, the thing is, it's union for the crew. And so, like, you can't bring in everybody, you know, like, they have to just work with whoever's in the country that they're going to. And so, I don't know. Something is, you're right, though. Something is a, is afoot yeah. with the, the lighting and the sound and the video. Like, something is a little not worked out. Yeah, but I think that happens with a lot, like all these different international productions who are many of them, I'd say most of the people associated with these, each production is probably the first time that, you know, early on, as opposed to the American version where like they have now more than a decade of experience. So these new productions, these newer productions are hitting the ground running and it looks way more expensive than the first season of original American, but they still have to work out a bunch of kinks, you know. It's a shame. It is a shame because it, 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 it makes it hard to watch. Uh, but anyways, so, okay, the fans of the show, you're happy I asked about it. We can move on and talk about Peppermint mm-hmm. and her career. Uh, you've released quite a bit of music. Uh, can you tell us what you're working on right now and any collaborations you might have in the near future? Yes, I have a bit of a time capsule piece that's coming out that I've recorded primarily early on in the pandemic. Yep. And it's the third installment the third volume of my ep trilogy letters to my lovers this one is called validation letters to my lovers validation and uh the whole project really covers the a relationship from beginning middle and now this is the end coming out and so that will be coming out sometime this fall and along with that i have the second part of the short film that was accompanying the entire project part one was called a girl like me This might just be called A Girl Like Me Part 2. Maybe it's A Girl Like You. I don't know what we'll call it. But it's part two of the of the film, the short film, and it features music from all three of the albums. And so that comes out this fall as well. 
Oh, Amazing. I just want to yeah. throw it in there here for it. That is a jam. I totally dig. <laughs> I love that. And I'll Thank cut you. this out definitely. Not all the songs that I've heard from the Grace Stable have been my type of music. Whether or not they've been good is up to people <laughs> who enjoy that type of music. Find them. Well, I mean, <laughs> for me to put on a song twice or more, or to put it on my ultimate playlist, you have to have produced something that makes me go, this is a bop, and here for it, I am. (laughs) Well, I love that. Thank you. Here for it was one of the first songs that I worked on with a really wonderful creator and producer and composer, vocalist, all that, Daniel Wideline. He actually co-wrote many of the songs on the third installment of the third EP that's about to come out. But here for it was something that he had already just had written and they sort of worked on it for someone else. And they were like, do you want a, a summer song to put out? And so I was like, yeah. And so it's so unlike me because even the music video is filmed in California. I'm not a Cali girl, but I was like, I'm going to go to LA and film like a very Los Angeles music video where we're riding around in a Jeep by the palm trees and by the beach, you know? And so that's what we did. (laughs) And I love the song. Thank you. As an artist, it it didn't feel like you were tied down to producing something that was going to appease to the show's fans. If it makes sense, like you were following your... And I'm still not. Artistic. Oh, good. (laughs) Good. Good. That's what we want to say. Now, speaking of this in 2020, it was a mixed bag. For a lot of artists, a lot of artists, Mm. some were in their element creating, others were just sitting there waiting for someone to tell them what to create. Um, You released A Girl Like Me, Letters to My Lovers, as you mentioned, and then the follow-up in 2022, Moment of Weakness. Was that cheaper than therapy? Uh, 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 Yes, Mm -hmm. it was, (laughs) for sure. Definitely cheaper than therapy. Yeah. You know, anything in health, cheaper than anything in healthcare in our in yeah. the United States. <laughs> I don't know if it had the same impact, but it was a bit, you know, cathartic in a way. Which is the question, really. <laughs> yeah. Creating lyrics and, and the music, uh, which I co-wrote with several, I collaborated with a lot of different people and co-wrote, including an ex-boyfriend. And so, yes, there was some therapy going on. Yeah, but it, I wanted to do something that was really, that really spoke to sort of my truth and authenticity and my experience in being a trans woman, a Black trans woman, and sort of what it was like for me and what many of the, my girlfriends that I talked to, uh, what it's like just like in love and, and relationships, which are a challenge for anyone these days, especially with the ever-changing landscape of dating and, you know, swiping to find a date and all these different things. But being queer and definitely being trans presents uh, a whole nother layer to it, uh, a layer of difficulty for me. And and so, yeah, it was, it was a good experience, though, and I feel really good about it because I guess at one point I was sort of confronted with the thought of do I create something that's just like something that's mean that's just fun for people to dance to and doesn't really talk about my experiences and focuses more on the drag world appeasing that audience yeah appeasing that audience or do I talk about my real experiences something that this these people haven't necessarily heard from me yet and so obviously I chose to go with the latter yeah wonderful uh, now, I believe you just finished up with a transparent musical based on the hit TV series. 
Whilst during the waiting game for an NYC transfer, uh, I'm not, admittedly, I'm not familiar with the show because I've never really had an Amazon account or Apple for that matter. So please, people, don't ask me about shows on either of those two networks. <laughs> uh, but I believe you took over the role of Davina, originally played by Alexandra Billings, who was another trans performer who had blazed a, a path on Broadway. Now, how did you approach that baton passing in terms of redeveloping the character to live and breathe from within you as a performer here? Because so, obviously the character was known on the show, so it comes with its fans. Alexandra is uh, an icon in my eyes. She's a wonderful human being, and uh, anybody that doesn't know her should f- certainly follow her and, and listen to her musings and, and her thoughts on all things that happen these days. It's really great, her, uh, her content that she puts out on her page. And she's also an educator, or a writer, a theater teacher, and obviously an actor and a performer. So it was, you know, it's an honor to share a role that, you know, was once inhabited by her and will forever be immortalized in the TV series. But the the approach to this, you know, th- this show, A Transparent Musical, is inspired by the same story and the same sort of source material as the TV show, which is loosely based on the real life experiences of some siblings whose parent comes out as trans and then what life is like after that. And so Joey and Faith Soloway, who were the original creators of the TV show and writing about their own life, came back to the table and apparently they said that they wanted this, they really envisioned their family's story always as a musical, but were never able to do it with the TV series. And then had a chance to kind of take a stab at that uh, for the last sort of season of the show when they came out with a musical sort of finale version of the to tie up the tv series but this i was able to bring my own experience to to the role of davina and that's just something that i try to do um luckily we're in a in a in a in a time and space when we're talking about roles trans transgender characters that they want some authenticity and life experience brought to it and so that's what i do i'm not sure that that's necessarily very different if somebody was casting some like blonde ingenue who's 20 something certainly her life experiences would also be relevant in that aspect you know unless she was like playing some villain i don't know it's a fantasy um but the role of davina the character of davina is very different in the musical than it than it is than she is in the tv series uh first off it's a musical um and uh but the character is a black woman she she's always been a trans woman of color but the character is a black woman and the job that she has and the function that she has in this musical and also the literal job like employment that the character has in the show are also quite different than the TV series. And so that for, is for starters, the the main difference and really positions gave me a different approach. And I think they wanted to have specifically a, a black person, a black Jew, a person who's black and Jewish in the musical, which is also very different than the TV series. Uh, and I was afraid to, I wasn't sure how I was gonna approach, I know, I was so inspired by the TV series originally because it was very groundbreaking in that they had a lot of trans actors and it was Amazon's first original series. And it was about trans experiences. All those things were like never heard of in 2016, whatever it came out, 2015, 2016. Um, And so when I 
was approached to do it. Of course, I wanted to do it because I the show holds such a really dear place in my heart. But I was really scared because I was like, I'm not Jewish and I don't know anything about this. And so it really, you know, um, it was uh, it was an opportunity to learn a lot about um, not only Jewish American history, Jewish history and uh, Jewish history period, but also because the show does um, visit uh, your, without spoiling too much, the show does visit um, Berlin during the Weimar Republic uh, when queer and trans and non-binary folks were sort of thriving uh, um, in connection with Magnus Hirschfeld and his Institute for uh, Sexual Research. Anyway, uh, so we got a ch- we get a chance to like view um, life through and sort of compare and contrast 2023 queer existence to 1933 queer existence and how those two things sort of um, parallel. It was interesting and it was wonderful and I love the show so much and I have fingers and toes crossed that we get to bring it to New York. I They announced their intentions recently and so I guess we'll, we'll have to see what happens. I think we are gonna be going into rehearsals um, for a workshop soon to yeah. to bring it to Broadway the way that it should be brought. Awesome. It doesn't matter about playing a Jewish character as long as you didn't use Bradley Cooper's prosthetic nose. Oh, sorry. I definitely sorry. didn't. <laughs> I, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, people. No prosthetics were used in the creation of this story. I'm I'll going say. to have, Ed, I believe. Uh, so uh, of late, Broadway seems to be making a concerted effort to better represent and celebrate uh, Black and queer artists. Uh, I mean, if you look like recently, that Strange Loop ended up winning a Tony recently in the past year. Alex Newell and J. Harrison Gee both ended up winning Tonys. Uh, my question is, uh, because Broadway is sort of, it's, it's, it's sort of its own set thing, and it's sort of like, people are like, we need to change Broadway into something else. Would that, uh, should BIPOC and queer artists look to attempt to change something that's as old and monolithic as Broadway? Or should they be working and focusing on developing their own spaces? Like what's the next step of live theater? Cause I'm not sure it's going to be Broadway, but should they be focusing on what the next thing is as opposed to trying to take this older institution and turn it into something that it hasn't been? That's certainly a very relevant question and point. And I agree. I mean, I think part of the appeal of Broadway, or at least something that's immutable about Broadway, is its fantasy, its its fascination with itself. And when I say that, <laughs> I mean <laughs> it's all yeah, exactly. The 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 not only the tradition and the culture of it all, but then also it's it's unavoidable. Like it, the revivals are just like you know dizzying how much how much it revives things but keeping the legacy of the Irving Berlins and the and the Stephen Sondheims and the all of these um people who've created such legacy work on Broadway keeping that alive is 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 important to do in in a sense however uh it it, it is difficult to sort of go back and redeem a sense of diversity, especially considering that professional theater, theater in general, but professional theater and maybe even Broadway, I think pats itself on the back in terms of feeling like it's um, a safe haven for for queer people and uh, queer identities. 
I don't think that that's always really been the case. Many of the out gay white men that I know who have performed on Broadway have been told to butch it up. And many of them have never played leading roles. A lot of the character, I mean, every chorus person is gay in, in all the shows that we've seen, but like we've never been able to see leading characters. I can't say never, but leading characters are often not gay or queer. And a lot of times the act, even in the rare instance that the show is focused on a, a queer storyline as a leading role, a leading character, a lot of times, at least in Broadway's history, the, the, the artists have never been out as queer, the actors. And so haven't been traditionally. Um, and there's been, you know, like um, a fascination with being able to see non-queer artists play queer roles and see that transformation on its own. I'm thinking about like the producers and things like that. Yes, it does. If we're, how do we, the a question, a really important question is how do we uphold the tradition and history of Broadway, which will be really key in keeping live theater, live theater, uh, and also make space for new stories and new content and new uh, types of identities to, to occupy space. I know that like they've had the, the, the thought in the early 2000s was just like have this like what they were calling colorblind or non-traditional casting uh to have like you know a black person play the you know like just didn't matter what race let's just put them in but the problem with that is it doesn't really acknowledge the experiences of people of color and you know different identities um and we're still not telling those stories, right? If we're doing like, you know, Sunday in the Park with George and the, just putting somebody black in the role, that's not, that would not have been that experience of that person, right? That was a weird show for me to pick, but anyway. <laughs> that's fine. And so I do think that there needs to be a move to create theater and stories in an authentic way that, that tell new stories. I think it's not so much how do we bring BIPOC and, and different uh, identity stories into Broadway? I think it's more, how do we bring Broadway into 2023? And if Broadway's gonna exist in 2023, it has to include all these different stories or it's going to die with the 19, with the Irving Berlins and all those things. This, you know, I think that's, Broadway needs to update itself. Or it'll turn into grand opera. It's a thing where it's like, oh, it's just for the super very rich people. Exactly. Where it's like the program is a yearbook of the donors more so than the artists. Exactly. And I think that's what, what professional theater on Broadway is sort of struggling with right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyone wants to hear my thoughts on, on a lot of this stuff um, in terms of casting and all that. The episode with Irvine Iqbal. I get very passionate in that episode. So to follow on from that, people can give me this crap about supporting this community or that community so they look good on socials. Mm. But we all know that money speaks. On that note, mm. a strange loop. One, Tony or not, where were the audiences? Why did that close? So everybody is so in support of our community. Where? were the audiences and two following on what you just said why did it take putting 19 producer names 19 famous producer names on the poster to get a small show with a small cast and a small set onto broadway for such a short fucking run don't give me this bullshit about progression and all this shit mm -hmm. if you cared that wouldn't have happened anyway sorry i actually wrote that down so i wouldn't rant Good boy. And it was almost done. We are almost done. Obviously, you meet a lot of fans, do a lot of meet and greets. 
I'm sure you've heard a lot of inspirational personal stories. As a takeaway for for the rest of us, how do you unpack these stories that you hear on the road from your fans and learn to not take it on board to then sort of move forward with with your own life, really? Because I'm sure you've heard some tragic, awful stories along the way. And even I'm sure we both have our own as well. So sad stories that they um well you know to be honest with you most of the uh people that i encountered and i haven't done a drag race style tour in since the pan- before the pandemic but most of the stories that i would hear and and conversations and things that people would say to me during the meet and greets and things on the road were mostly really joyous and you know like people being going you know there would be people in tears but they would be like appreciative of maybe they thought that my story resonated with them somehow or something like that and that's always a wonderful feeling uh there were some people who had some really touching moments you know some people talking about like you know traumatic diagnoses that they've received or family members and some loss and things like that and you know but that's that's normal you know i've that's not necessarily unlike what i experienced at the stage door on broadway where people come out and sort of want to really pour their heart out to you and that to me is energizing not that i like want to hear anyone's pain or not that i want people to be in pain and hear it but i'm saying I'm happy to connect with people that that connection, that authentic connection, to me, that's a part of the live theater, theatrical experience of which I include um, the drag race tours as well. That's live theater and being able to connect with people who in the audience, of course, when the audience claps and shows their appreciation or there's a sad song on the stage, you know, and you're thinking that maybe they're crying or you can see it, some tears, but then being able to actually hear back because they're not gonna like top, stop and talk, hopefully during the show. So then when they come to the stage door or when they're at the meet and greet, then you really get the chance to hear what these individuals thought and the the, the re- actual response. And that's always great. So yeah. it's energizing to me. Yeah. This is a sign that you are an inherently good person, not just, not just a nice girl. You're a good person. In Australia, a stonker is something that leaves you bewildered. So on that note, Mr. J Wags has prepared some wonkers stonkers. Okay. All right. Uh, we were talking about Broadway revivals. Is there a role you are dying to tackle on Broadway? No, there's not. Okay. Not one that's already written. I would love to play Davina in a transparent musical on Broadway. That's. <laughs> All right. And I wouldn't. I wouldn't have mind. I wouldn't mind dying to play no but there are i I wouldn't mind doing something in shucked because i really really i think it's one of the best new musicals that i've seen in years on i love broadway Uh, all right uh i'm not gonna like limit you to like a top five or a mount rushmore but who are the songwriters or songwriting teams that speak to your soul oh songwriters prince for sure prince indiree Lauren Hill, I mean, honestly, Lauren Hill's a brilliant lyricist for sure. Huh? Yeah. Those are the three. Yes. Yeah. One of the greatest albums in the history of music. <laughs> I am oddly a big fan of sumo wrestling. Uh, do you follow any sports? I don't follow any sports. However, I find myself going to the U.S. Open more times than I care to say. <laughs> <laughs> But that's because when I'm, if I'm invited by a friend or by somebody, 
they usually have clubhouse access. So any type of sport that has a clubhouse access where we're being wined and dined, I'll be there. I might not be looking at the the field or whatever's happening, but I'll go. <laughs> In terms of grooves, Motown or New Jack Swing? Oh my gosh. I have to say Motown because without Motown, there, we wouldn't have gotten to New Jack Swing. Okay. You know, so... I, I say Motown because it's like, you know, key. I watched an interview of you where you were talking about how you got into drag and you mentioned uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory as one of your influences for getting into drag. Yes. Well, it was really the movie Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Now at this current point in your life, are you a Violet or a Veruca? Oh, definitely. <laughs> all, a, always a Violet. All right. I probably <laughs> act like a Veruca to some, some people may think I'm a Veruca, but I'm definitely a Violet. I'm, I mean, I, I'm always having a piece of gum or candy in my mouth and I love a good blueberry pie and yeah, I'm a violet. <laughs> Mama Rue or Auntie Michelle? I mean, I have a, a really, really close connection to Michelle. It's probably obvious for a lot of, Michelle is extremely well connected to, to the girls and the queens, even after the show, that's no secret. And, you know, we, we're on texting status and she yeah. and I toured together for a few years, including during my season. And I've always had just like a soft spot in my heart. Anybody who's on the Bodyguard soundtrack is a-okay with me. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> even that woman in the audience in the UK who screamed along? Not her. One last question and we'll, we'll round it up because we have kept you for so long. Finally, Nene leaks aside, have you been working on celebrity impersonations in the past seven years, Peppermint? First of all, I can't believe it's been seven years. Second yeah. of all, yes, but I'm not going to say who, but I think I found the perfect <laughs> one. I can, I can say the formula is to get somebody that people know their name but and their look but don't know their personality as well and that is the key and so i found that person yeah so if anyone wants to play me on snatch game you just have to sit there get really excited about stupid things and go like this with your arms all the time because i apparently i do this a hell of a lot during these recordings because i can't dance <laughs> i'm sitting down i can't get up and dance anyways thank you so much for joining us yes thank you so much it has been absolute thrill and absolute <laughs> honor we got to surprise you with jane badler who i know is one of your idols i read it in an article like 10 years ago or something i love her so much yeah yeah i'm so th so thrilled i love her very much and yeah it was so great thank you so much for for having me as a guest and congratulations again on the 100th episode right, it was so, so great to be here with both of you and talk thrash and all the treasures that I was going to try to make up something, but it didn't work. All the treasures, that is you, Peppermint. Now, if you want a treasure of an idea, a billion-dollar idea, you need to release prep a mint. Oh, hey. 10%, please. Yes, but how would we apply that? There's like three or four different applications right now that I know. <laughs> I don't that know. That I could see. I'll figure it I'm out. I'm single. I'm not Okay, okay. So like, I have no idea. I don't They're know. all sex That's tied to sex. Yeah, so I just thought that's a, that's a brilliant, I had to throw that in there. I'll do all your, your socials and, and charities um, and all that so we can let you go. So thank you so much. Such an honor. Yeah, I'll, I'm sure I'll see you around town off the A. I'm in Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I will probably see you there. Um, right. I, uh, this was great. Thank you so much, both thank of you. you.
a huge, huge, huge thank you to Miss Peppermint for joining us. Again, such a thrill doing this show. This is my 100th episode. I'm so tired, but I am so filled with love and gratitude to my guests, to my co-hosts, all of them. And thank you to you at home for listening. If you've listened to all 100 episodes, you rock. I love you truly blessed and thankful to have gotten here someone did actually say it wouldn't last gareth anyways you can find all things peppermint on the socials instagram twitter all that jazz at peppermint 247 but check below for the details because we're putting the link tree we put in the aclu drag defense fund link peppermint's website socials well the instagram link twitter is locked so whether or not you're able to follow i don't know and also a link to the town hall podcast which is a black queer podcast with bob the dry queen and peppermint you can find jonathan at the tuakan amphitheater in utah until the end of october i believe playing willy wonka in charlie and the chocolate factory which is amazing that peppermint was inspired by willy wonka and the chocolate factory to get in drag jonathan was almost supposed to be traveling on this day so he ended up but he ended up being here for it so that worked out anyways i gotta hurry up because i need to rush off for the red carpet so tuakan.org for tickets to that at Mr. J Wags on all the socials and check out his YouTube show, The Dohio, if you love all things sumo. You can find us at Thrash and Treasure on Twitter, at Thrash and Treasure Podcast on Instagram. Follow us on YouTube at Blooming Theatricals, one word, which is also our Patreon. So if you want to support us and help us keep going and book more amazing guests and have amazing moments like we just had with them, please support us. Help us keep going. Next week, I'm not on at all. Spencer and Matt are. How good is that? We have a return guest. But also, you can buy The Toniston Tales at thetonistontales.com. And if you use the code TNT20, you'll get 20% off. Anyways, I've got to go because I've still got to do my nails. I've got to do my hair. I've got to shower first. Goodness gracious me. I'm going to look spiffy on the red carpet. So I cannot wait. Huge, huge, huge thank you to Peach and Pineapple and to Global Creatures for including me, for inviting me. You have no idea. Like I've worked my ass off for years and years and years and years. I've worked with some really amazing people. I have never, ever, ever counted. So tonight I get to in about an hour or so I'm going to race off. I gotta go. I gotta go. Okay, so I'm gonna round this up. I'm actually gonna come back tomorrow. I'm gonna do some more ADR. I'm gonna add some more thoughts in of mine for the Stone Temple pilots because I was pretty quiet through that whole thing on that. Uh, and I'll fix a few things up. The ending or well, the last half an hour. The editing is a little bit sloppy because, as I say, I'm in a rush. Time is ticking and I've got to go. So, anyways. Anyways, a huge thank you to Team Peppermint, especially Ken, for all your help in organising this. Apparently it was a surprise that Peppermint was into grunge and metal and all that, so I'm just absolutely thrilled to be seen. A lot of people ignore us. So, truly, truly blessed. And also, speaking of that, Jane Badler, my heart to you, thank you so much. That was such a thrill. And Peppermint's face, I'll have to show you how that ended up even though we never ever release the videos of our recordings those reactions are just for us and peppermint's was amazing oh my god she was living i was living we were all living anyway
to you at home. Happy TNT 100. Use the hashtag TNT 100. Thank you so much for listening. You look after yourselves. You take care of each other. And we shall see you next time for episode 101. Uh-huh. <laughs> 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 <laughs>